New Yorkers believe that it's practically our birthright to complain about the noise of the city. All these jangling, screeching subway cars and honking and people yelling at each other. What non-New Yorkers don't really understand about people hollering one at another is that we mean it as a sign of affection. When we've hollered at you, it's almost a compliment. It's as if we've embraced you as one of our own. But we do dream after living here for 52 weeks a year, we do dream of spending at least some time of peace and quiet. My wife and I like to go to some alpine mountain and just sit there and not really do anything for two weeks. Just look at the mountains and feel the sun, hear nothing except maybe the rustling of the leaves or the chirping of a bird or uh, someone singing, their voice reverberating on the mountain peaks. And when we return after a couple of weeks, we haven't even arrived back home. Still in the cabs, maybe on the Triborough Bridge after hearing all of this hollering taxi drivers yelling at one another, honking their horns, potholes, uh, we say to ourselves, we look at the skyline of this city and we say to ourselves, let's go back to Switzerland for another couple of weeks. But here's the thing that non-New Yorkers don't really understand about us. We don't really mean it. We wouldn't dream of living anywhere else. And so the silence of our city now is jarring. It's disorienting because it is the opposite, the antithesis of what New York is about. New York is not about silence. The Parsha of the week does refer to silence. We read that uh, Aaron had, had two of Aaron's sons uh, were tragically uh, killed in the Parsha. And the only response that Aaron could express was silence. The Bible tells us, Vaidom Aharon and he was silent, which was particularly noteworthy because Aaron was, of the two brothers, Moses and Aaron, Aaron was the one who was selected for leadership as a compliment to Moses because he was verbal, he was loquacious, he was a man of words. If you recall on Mount Sinai, God tells Moses, I'm sending with you your brother Aaron because you, Moses, are slow of speech. And so, uh, we think about uh, the Parsha and Aaron's only possible response to death is silence. And that reminds us of the silence of our streets, perhaps punctuated here and there by the sounds of an ambulance siren, which we know carries many people to their ultimate death. And we worry, and I know this is your worry too because I've spoken with many of you. We worry that perhaps New York will never come back, will never be restored to what it was. I want you to know, all of, all of us who live here and all of you who do not live here but love New York, New York will come back. We will return. New York has been written off so many times in its past. There's something about New York, its energy that is irrepressible and in, 
indomitable, we will return. John Steinbeck lived in New York for two periods of his life. The first period was a very brief period for a year or so. Between 1925 and 1926, he came here as a young man and New York got the better of him. And he left to return to California, describing this period in his life as a thin, lonely, hungry time of it. But he returned to New York in 1941 after winning the Pulitzer Prize for the Grapes of Wrath. And he lived here on and off for the remainder of his life. He died in 1968. He lived part of the time out in Sag Harbor and part of the time here in Manhattan. In fact, his first apartment was on East 52nd Street between 1st and 2nd Avenues. Uh, and then uh, for the later part of his life, he was on East 72nd Street. In 1953, Steinbeck wrote a piece for the New York Times that he entitled Making of a New Yorker. And uh, I'd like to read a passage of this for you as a reminder, nobody else said it better, as a reminder from Steinbeck of what New York is really about and perhaps as a sort of prayer for the restoration of our city. Steinbeck writes, New York is an ugly city, a dirty city. Its climate is a scandal. Its politics are used to frighten little children. Its traffic madness, its competition murderous. But there's one thing about it. Once you've lived in New York and it has become your home, no place else is good enough. All of everything is concentrated here. It is tireless and its air is charged with energy. No one interferes in our business. No one by chance visits us without first telephoning, certainly a most civilized practice. When we close the front door, the city and the world are shut out, and we are more private than any countryman below the Arctic Circle. We have many friends, good friends in the city. Sometimes we don't see them for six or eight months, and this in no way interferes with our friendship. Any place else, this would be resented as neglect. We accept invitations or refuse them without explanation or recrimination. We eat in restaurants and go to the theater exactly when we wish. The explanation, I'm working, is accepted at face value. There seems to be very little venomous gossip. Everyone at one time or another tries to explain to himself why he likes New York better than any other place. Every once in a while, we go away for several months and we always come back with a, thank God I'm home feeling. If you have lived in New York, no place else is good enough. New York is the world. 
We will return. That is New York. We will rebuild. And in the process, New York will rebuild us. Nothing can keep New York down. It's not because we have the most glittering skyscrapers, the greatest centers of art and culture and science and medicine. Rather, we have these because we have here the greatest people in the world. And I'd like to conclude with some words from Walt Whitman, who also lived in New York, Brooklyn and Manhattan for much of his life. And he wrote these words. And you that shall cross from shore to shore years hence are more to me and more in my meditations than you might suppose. I am with you, men and women of a generation, or ever so many generations hence. Just as you feel when you look on the river and the sky, so I felt. Brooklyn of ample hills was mine. I too walked the streets of Manhattan Island. What do you think endures? Do you think a great city endures? Or a teeming manufacturing state? Or the best built steamships? Or hotels of granite and iron? Away! These are not to be cherished for themselves. A great city is that which has the greatest men and women. We have the greatest men and women in this city. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Shabbat Shalom.